Welcome back. Welcome in. Country Roads Confidential here at earsports.com, part of the 24-7 network. Middle of the week, middle of the day for another episode in... Oh my god, I hope it's not the middle of the quarantine. I hope it's toward the end. But here to forecast the future with me is Chris Anderson. Chris, I think what we're going to talk about here is that this is kind of more of the same, but we're kind of crossing our fingers. We're kind of seeing signs that maybe we have a resolution one way or the other. The optimistic view is that we're kind of marching toward the start of something new here. The reality is it's kind of out of our control. Um, please help me make sense of this. What should I be thinking? Uh, this time of year, I'm always thinking football, especially when we hit today. Today's kind of a big day this week, really. Um, national awards are coming out all over the place. Today we hear who made the preseason all Big 12 team. Tomorrow we get the preseason Big 12 poll. Those kind of things always make me feel like it's always that time of year, mid-July. We're gearing up for Big 12 media days. This year it's virtual. Um, coaches are finishing up their vacations and getting ready to come back um, for the final recruiting camp before fall camp starts. So this this is really the time of year where I start feeling like it, it's time for football and we're almost there. But uh, like you said, it's out of our control. We, we're, there, there are other things going on, obviously, that might interrupt that. But um, we're moving that direction. We're getting closer. And for the most part, uh, schools and teams, West Virginia, are taking the steps necessary to actually play the game of football. So that's good to hear. Before we unravel that, shout out to West Virginia on Twitter. A very nice, out of the blue tweet Tuesday evening. He says, just want to say I love Country Roads Confidential. I've been listening since the first episode, and it's definitely my go-to sports slash WVU podcast. Two things I want to point out. One, this happened on Twitter. Nice things typically don't happen on Twitter. It's been a long time since I had a heartwarming moment on that website. And two, he said we're his favorite sports slash WVU podcast. So the entire realm of sports were at the top of his list. So I did not want to let his sincerity and his messaging go unnoticed there because, um, boy, it's hard to be online these days when anytime you write something you're greeted with, you know they're not going to play the season, Mike. <laughs> and I go, yeah, I'm a sports writer. I'm acutely aware of the ramifications of that. I just choose not to acknowledge it right now. So so thanks to West Virginia. Um, let's, let's march toward what you're talking about there. Um, I'm, I try to be optimistic about these things because that's the only way I know and it's not going to do any good to be the other way now. So um, Tuesday was really nice here. It wasn't one of those scorching 90 degree days. Skies were blue, not a lot of clouds, a little bit of a breeze. So went for a long walk around lunchtime and got to the part of the, the trail where I live behind the football stadium um, in a neighborhood just beyond the practice field. So you can walk through and you come around the IPF and then into the parking lot um, you pass the practice field and then you're into the, the area um, where you're going to get a view of everything. And if you do it the right way, you're kind of elevated. There's a track that you can go through that's above the, the fields and all that stuff. And um, I got a nice broad view of the stadium complex, a lot of activity, not just like construction crews you know, buzzing around on Bobcats and, and trying to get things done, but you saw players coming in out of the facility, they're in their cars, they're hanging out as best they can in the parking lot. You figure a lot of these people haven't seen each other for very long. That was kind of fun to see. Uh, a smattering of people on the practice field just jumping rope or working out in the sand pit. And, again, the hard thing to miss was that 
that construction is coming along pretty quickly, and it's a dramatic difference, too. Um, we have a photo gallery up. You can go look at it. It's about 15, 16 pictures and some useful comparisons of then and now at the end. And just to talk about them for a second, the before and afters are pretty striking because what we have now is much bigger. It looks slick with the glass walls. And previously, you just had, like, the one side where you could walk into where, like, the team theater is. That had glass walls and this larger structure. The rest of it didn't make any sense. It didn't fit with it. Um, they have made everything uniform now. So they kind of continue the same height, the same look, the glass walls. They put in a whole new, I don't know what you would call it, like tower on the other end of the facility. And it looks pretty cool. It's much bigger. And it's topped off by that enormous scoreboard now, too. Um, you could tell it's going to be much wider, probably much higher, too, to accommodate that new feature. And just, just for a minute there, I was thinking, boy, what's a replay going to look like on that board? How great will it be to hear fans, even if it's only 20% of them, booing the officials when they see a HD replay up on that board on September 12th. And, man, if everybody does their part here, that means, you know, me walking around and going into the press box in a mask, the players doing their stuff, uh, to, you know, observe social distancing and all these things are doing right now so they don't have a high number of tests. If the construction people can get everything done, eh, man, there's a chance this may actually happen. Um it was a fun moment. Maybe it was fleeting, but it felt pretty good to kind of dream for a second. Yeah, going through the pictures, I agree with everything you said, specifically the the wall with the glass. I mean, it looks amazing, um, but I, I, I was drawn to the video board, just like you're talking about. Like You, you have the two pictures of the before and, and the current uh, right next to each other, and I, I mean, the, the actual screens are not in. Uh, right now, I, I'm not an engineer, so I'm not sure what the, the term I'm looking for here is, but the frame basically for the new video board is up and it looks massive compared to the previous one. Just absolutely massive. Um, I, I think that is going to be a real difference maker. Like you said, for the games, it's going to really improve the experience. The coaches use it for recruiting um they not only to show off like hey look at that but they show videos up there they show highlight reels they have dinners out there on the field and, and play music and and film and stuff up on that video to try and impress recruits and if you're coming in with a screen that's twice as big as the last one and in full hd it, it's going to leave a bigger impression and that's the goal too i mean that's why, why do you have to have this you know do you have to spend all this money on it yeah, you do, and and that's why you have to have it. So, again, we have no control over it, and honestly, if they finish on time or ahead of schedule, that doesn't mean we're going to start the season. But, um, you know, enough people kind of, again, moving in the right direction, just doing their part, doing their 111th, as they say, Chris, to try to get things done. Um, I wonder, do you – it doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme that they're going to release the all-conference teams today and the poll later. I think it may mean something – that they haven't postponed media days, which are next week. You've seen conferences that do not yet know if they're going to have non-conference play. You've seen them say, we're not going to do media days right now. As of this speaking, that has not happened. And I would think that they're not going to want 10 coaches and the commissioner to have to speak to that possibility and that they might try to do something before that one way or the other. So, I wonder if between now and the start of media day, we have a definitive of, yes, we are going to play, and no, we're not going to play. I like how they say we're going to wait until the end of July. That's 
like next week. <laughs> yeah. um, so they kind of have to make up their minds sooner or later. And I wonder if there'll be some type of announcement or if there'll be some sort of a postponement there. Do you do you read any tea leaves here? I think they're leaning towards playing some sort of season. Uh, I, I'm not. I mean, obviously, it comes with all the same caveats that everybody's giving about everything right now, sports, school, uh, if it can be say, done safely, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but I think they are leaning, the Big 12 is leaning more towards having the season than just about any conference in the country outside of maybe the SEC, because I, I think, uh, you know, SEC definitely had their fingers in the ears as, as everybody was discussing canceling non-conference games. But they've said the same thing as the Big 12. We're going to wait and see. We'll make a decision at the end of July. But, um, hey, maybe this is why West Virginia likes our, our podcast so much, because we're just in agreement on everything, I think, Mike. This is bad. This is bad, bad podcasting, bad radio. I got to argue with you more, but I can't because one of the first things I thought of was they're going to cancel these media days. I can't believe they're going to have media days if they don't, not even sure they're going to have a season or they're going to delay them because they're going to wait and make a decision before they have these media days because all these coaches and Bob Bowlesby are just going to get peppered with those type of questions, questions they can't answer right now. So uh, I'm curious to see how next week unfolds. But like I said, as of right now, we're getting access, uh, virtual access, to all the coaches and the commissioner for Big 12 media days. It's a terrible take. I disagree completely. <laughs> That's better. Does that feel better? Yeah, that does uh, feel better. I, uh, I wouldn't mind if they didn't have it, to be frank with you. I'd much rather have uh, a 10-person, 12-person Zoom of Brown and uh, what, what were we saying? Two players I think they're going to bring there? Bring. Put online. I'd much rather have that with a smaller group than have the same head coach with, I don't know, five, six, seven times as many people in the audience. And let's face it, a handful of people are going to ask every coach the same question. Um, they have stories they have to do and they have themes they want to work at and subjects they want to address. And um, they have tabs they want to fill. If you're not familiar, tabs are what newspapers um, put into their football preview uh, kind of their interest, I guess. You'll see a high school tab, a college football tab, maybe a pro football tab. They slip them in the newspapers at certain parts of August and September. Um, so they have a lot of work to do, and they typically do that there. And it could be kind of a um, a nuisance, I guess. Necessary evil if you're if you're another part of the media. And I imagine that's going to be hard for those people to do this year, but they're still going to try to do it. So you'll see a lot of like just general stories that involve Neil Brown that are about the Big Twelve. Um, but for me, frankly, I don't really care what's going on at texas tech or kansas state we have we have a version of you and me at every one of those schools that can do that i just want to focus on brown as best as i can and it's it'd be kind of better if it was in small spaces and small groups but i'll be frank with you kind of tired of neil brown we've had so many conversations with him and so much exposure to him during this time uh, i mean that in the most flattering way like he's been extremely accessible uh did a q a with us and is had about what six or seven zooms it seems like with the entire media um we had a break for a while. We actually canceled our last uh, fan club meeting on Tuesday, yesterday morning. Sad day, Chris. I didn't tell you that, but uh, we just needed a break because we've had so much Neil Brown during the offseason. But um, what can he have to say that's new coming up to us, you and me, and anybody who follows him regularly? Probably not a whole lot. Maybe an update about what's happened in this part of the summer workouts. But, you know, that's not very different than what was going on in the quote-unquote voluntary part. But, um not too jazzed about that. Normally, it's a pretty big deal down in Dallas. You see a lot of your friends. Um, 
I'm not sure I want to see a lot of my media friends getting a look at me and my hair right now, so I don't miss <laughs> that so much. But I mean, what are we going to accomplish? I don't know. But again, good sign for sure that it's not being canceled yet, but it's going to be a tough thing. Um, I wonder if anybody will ask about former Big 12 coach Tommy Tuberville in uh, the Zoom on Media Day next week because that would be something new and fresh to talk about. Uh, before we get to, to Tommy, I, I had to ask, did, are you disappointed because you had a, a special hair bow picked out for Big 12 Media Days this year? Or <laughs> is that, are was, you, okay, are you recovering from that? It's, it was uh, it was multicolored. It was all-inclusive. I had the 10 mascots in one broadband across my lettuce, and I'm sad. I had it all planned out, and it's not going to happen. Now, perhaps I'll share it in some other venue, too. Um, well, I agree with you. I think Tommy Tuberville would have been... Maybe Tommy Tuberville might have been the only new thing to talk with Neil Brown about right now. Um, yes. Obviously, I think uh, for those listening, in case you aren't aware, I think most people are or some people are. Uh, Tuberville was the one that hired Neil Brown at Texas Tech, and he was there as as an assistant coach, offensive coordinator for or three years, right? Two, three years there. Three good years. Uh, yeah. in, in Lubbock. So um, they have a connection, I imagine uh, – I imagine it's going to come up, and it, and if it wasn't going to come up before, it's going to come up now. I've always wanted to ask Brown, except I don't think he was there. Tuberville famously quit Texas Tech mm-hmm. during a recruiting dinner with like the entire staff there, but I think Brown was already gone for um, for Troy at that point. I think he might have been hired. So unfortunately, I don't know. Maybe I'll have to look into that. That would be a good question. Like who picked up the bill? who picked up the conversation that recruit ended up committing to Texas tech. I believe I forget. There's quite a story about that, but that's an amazing chapter. Um, and I'm, by the looks of it, he's going to be the Senator of Alabama, which is not something I predicted in 2015. But then again, the world has caught us all by surprise uh, in the past few months and indeed years. So perhaps nothing should be too surprising anymore too. Something else that's happening. Um, well, actually, you know what? Let's stick with this one here because I'd rather stick with football that we've, think may happen too but there are some holes in the schedule right now we talked about this when at the last time we spoke who the pac-12 had just you know the big 10 had just announced they were not doing non-conference we were under the impression that pac-12 and ecc would soon follow pac-12 did acc big 12 sec have not um i think we can see where this is probably going but as it is right now just two of the power five I don't believe any group of five conferences have. There's a couple FCS that have. Um, but it affects West Virginia because they no longer have that Maryland game on the schedule. They may not have the game against the ACC's Florida State. Definitely one hole in the schedule right now. If you are Shane Lyons, one, you're a busy man. But, Chris, if you are Shane Lyons, what are you doing knowing what you know about possibilities? Because we laid out – Every school that could fit into week one, week three, but also week zero and week nine, because there's different ways for West Virginia to get to 12 games, whether it's from 11 to 12, 10 to 12, or if Eastern Kentucky says thanks, but no thanks, nine to 12. There's different ways to get to 12 games, a whole bunch of different ways to do this. But how would you do this? Are there certain teams that you saw that you can remember that you would like to have in the schedule? Would you go for week zero? Would you lose your bye week in week nine? Would you just stick with 11 and not have to do extra business right now because you're going to have to pay somebody a couple hundred thousand bucks to come to Morgantown? You're probably not going to make a lot, if any, money on that. Um, how do you fill in your blanks? Are you going 
two easy schools, an FCS and a Power Five, two Power Fives. How are you making this work? So <clears throat> if Florida State stays, I'm going to go with the assumption that Florida State, West Virginia is still happening. Uh, so you're I'm saying ACC does not kick non-conference right. play. Big 12 does not kick non-conference play. Correct. Okay. And I would, for me, I would try to schedule um, – I, I know there are a couple – like Toledo or Bowling Green, uh, one of those Ohio schools, try to keep it regional. I think that's probably – again, what, that was my biggest problem with the canceling of the Maryland game but still allowing both schools to travel all the way across the country for other games. Uh, try to keep this regional because we, we've seen that regional is more – rather than looking at this virus as a, a – nationwide thing we need to look at it more as a regional thing and so i'd like to keep it regional for safety reasons and you look at those schools i believe you had toledo and bowling green on your list uh, those would be a couple from right over in ohio, or toledo excuse me right over in ohio and i would go with week zero treat it almost like and no offense to to the rockets treat it almost like a warm-up game for florida state then you get Florida State in a, in a marquee matchup in Atlanta. Follow that up with you know Eastern Kentucky, and again, no offense to the Colonels, but you get um, kind of a week to recoup after what is presumably going to be a battle in Atlanta, and then you get a bye week before you start Big Twelve play. And I think that is the an ideal way to kind of quote unquote fix or fill the schedule. So you're going to be off week three. You like that? Yeah, because okay. uh, right now this is going to be one of those rare years where you only had one bye week. So mm -hmm. I'd rather have it. Ha I'd rather have two and have it there in what week three, and then what? What's the current bye week? Week ten. Nine. I, you know, it's, Nine. it's the first first week of November, first day of November, or Halloween, or whatever. But yeah, week nine. So that's pretty good. Week three and week nine, you get a handful of games. You get. What, three games, then you take a break, get one, two, three, four, five games, take a break, and then finish the season with four games. Nice and easy. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I like it because you can take a team that has a week three spot, and there's a lot that have them. Uh, Akron would make sense. Bowling Green would make sense. Uh, I, I don't want an FCS because the only ones that are available are, are kind of eh. You already played James Madison. Do you really have anything in common with Murray State? Too far away, you think, right? Uh, Richmond. Eh. Villanova, eh. Portland State. So those FBS, FCS teams don't really do it. And then you got to be looking for someone close. So Akron, Toledo, Bowling Green, those are bus ride games too. Um, so again, take their week three spot, have them go to week zero because you're actually your week zero opponents. It doesn't work. The ones that lost a game, there's just no way that you're going to get like UNLV. UNLV is supposed to play a home game. They're not going to give that up. So they're going to want somebody there. It makes no sense to go there. Uh, Hawaii, New Mexico State. I believe Hawaii actually signed Robert Morris, um, which is pretty cool. The Robert Morris AD is kind of frisky. He uh, he scooped West Virginia on the scheduling announcement because it's such a big deal for him to get West Virginia. If he had waited for West Virginia, it was kind of an eh occasion that kind of gets sandbagged a little bit by the Mountaineers announcement. But, hey, good for him. He's going to Hawaii now for his uh, home game, a road game. But, but uh, yeah, to your point, borrow from week three to fill week zero, take week three off. I like it. Um, you could all say the same thing with week one. Because, as you know, Chris, a lot of armchair coaches say the most improvement happens between the first and second weeks. Well, if you were off in between your first and second game, think of the improvement you could actually have. <laughs> I like the way you think. 
here we go again. Yeah. In agreement on this stuff. Um, I think where it gets tricky is if you have the two spots. If Maryland goes away um, and then Florida State follows, how do you fulfill it then? That's complex. But, again, we're going to stick our head in the sand, and we're not going to acknowledge that. But if um, if you're curious, we have that story up online. All the possibilities, more than 60 teams, um, Power 5, Group of 5, FCS, all these different opponents in there too. But um, as I understand things right now with West Virginia, no ink on any contracts yet with anybody for week zero or week three. And it sounds to me like there are conversations or just like general awareness. Perhaps they read our story. Perhaps they have people who were smart enough to do this on their own. I don't know, but they know the score and they're going to be able to find out pretty quickly who needs games and what the finances are more importantly, what the travel would be, what the accommodations would have to be. They can move pretty quickly. If all of a sudden they say, Hey, big 12, you're on, you're going to play non-conference, get to 12 games. And if they have to react to just Maryland or to Maryland, and Florida State or Eastern Kentucky, they'll be able to move pretty quickly. So whether that means getting one game or three, I think they'll know how to do it. I've also heard that there's a realization, if not maybe like a resignation, that non-conference play isn't going to happen. And they're trying to maneuver the nine Big 12 games and space them out more and play Big 12 games in week zero, one, two, and or three, or at least schedule them. Because then that's going to open up three more open weekends in the schedule. Um, maybe you have three open weekends. Um, maybe it's a little bit more condensed. Maybe you start later, but you have two open weekends or just one. But I think there's a way to actually use all the scheduling space available. So maybe beginning on August 29, but also fitting nine games into all those weeks. What would that be? Four, 13 weeks this year, right? Right, right. So you'd have four off weeks. Um, there's a way to do that because if all of a sudden one of your games is canceled, and you both have a mutual spot six weeks later, you could actually backfill your schedule. You, now we're not going to cancel this one, but we're not going to play it on September 12th. Let's play it October 31st instead. There's a way to do that if they can find out the commonality. I think a lot of that stuff is easily accomplished by computers and stuff like that. There's a program that can make a lot of this stuff happen too, but that's one idea I've heard that actually has been at least discussed or kicked around is that conference only, but start maybe week zero, but definitely no later than week one and try to play nine games in 13 or if you use week zero, 14 weeks too, which if that's the way we go, that's probably a good way to do it. Don't wait until September. Maybe see if you can start early. And if you have to backfill later on, maybe you can do that. Do you think they start week zero or do you think they start first week of October and try to buy as much time as they can? Well, I think early on wasn't the plan. At least I know for like schools and stuff, it was let's get started earlier just like so that we can end earlier before, you know, quote unquote flu season or, or when this virus might get worse would be, you know, late November, December, January, so on. So I, I think they try to move it up. I mean, I know cases aren't trending the right direction right now, but um, by that August 29th into August, I, I think if you can move that up there, that does give you the wiggle room that you're talking about uh, to kind of, switch that to a later point in the season. So if it were me, that's what I do. Yep. Um, universally accepted truth was that West Virginia, if they go to 12 games, they should schedule as many wins as they can too. 
can't deny that one. <laughs> yeah, you just you bank is all you bank the easy paydays and the the easy wins if you can, and try to somehow sneak out like a ten win season or something <laughs> under the most unusual circumstances too. Um, speaking of finances, Chris, you did a little uh, digging, got a Freedom of Information Act request back at long last, um, understanding that it's not their priority right now, and, and they may not be fully staffed or fully equipped to do stuff like that. But legal department gets back to you. You have three new football coaching, excuse me, basketball coaching contracts. Um, interesting but not surprising language contained therein. What'd you find? Yeah, the the big new, uh, the only thing actually, because we had we had had access to the previous contracts for Larry Harrison, Ron Everhart, and Eric Martin, um, and it was other than dates and dollar figures almost identical, except for one big paragraph at the end of the employment and terms section saying that essentially the university can furlough or reduce the salary or stop contributing to retirement, any, any number of financial moves. If under the, it seems to be under their own discretion, if there are budgetary concerns, which obviously we've already seen. So I, I found it, it doesn't surprise me that it's in there because they, they are always going to try to cover themselves when they uh, make these contracts, but they've already been doing this. They've done it for the coaches before, not, not these three coaches, but they've done it for Neil Brown. They've done it for Bob Huggins. They've done it for Mike Carey uh, adjusting their salaries and, and did so without these clauses in there. So I think either this was a preemptive kind of strike against any future legal action or there actually was some pushback from somebody some employee because this was this was department-wide not necessarily just coaches but some kind of legal pushback on this the first time around oh conflict (laughs) i understand I haven't talked to too many people about this. It's none of my business, but some people have divulged to me and they do not work in, in any one of these athletic staffs, but that annual contracts in the university that were renewed had something similar in there that, Hey, if things are bad, we're going to have to do something like this. And at this point, what are you going to do? Are you not going to sign the contract? Are you not going to take the job? Are you going to go out in the open market and try to get parallel or superior employment right now somewhere else? Probably not. So it's just, the, it's what you do right now. Um, speaking of resistance or pushback, it's not going to be popular with coaches. Um, and I think more so maybe not for their immediate assistance, but for their staffers, their directors of operation, their film people, their travel coordinators, like their support staff. I think that they would rather not see those people affected too. Probably don't want to see their assistant coaches have to take salary step backs or, or, you know, I don't know. Maybe they get furloughed. I mean, there were definitely staffers. I'm not sure any assistant coaches in any major sport were furloughed, but certainly staffers were too. But I think that that's what's going to wrinkle um, the attitudes of some head coaches, maybe some assistant coaches, is, is that like it's going to affect everybody, people they really don't want to have affected. But I also wonder if like they really think it shouldn't be happening to their assistant coaches too. Like it's it's an uneven explanation, I know, but like I think there's probably like equal feelings of disapproval. Probably at every school. I don't think anybody's too accepting of this, but it, it does seem to be pretty obvious too. Um, significantly too, all the co- three assistant coaches took a what, a five percent pay cut. Is that correct? Yeah, five percent. Had to do that. We mentioned this before. Like it would be really hard to give guys raises right now, or to even bring them back on the same salary because if people in the athletic department making above a certain salary threshold, which is what all three of those assistant coaches were above. Um, 
they have to take a 5% cut. If you're not giving them a raise, that's good. They don't get a percent increase. But even if they stay the same, not getting a raise, don't they have to take a 5% pay cut? I'm not advocating for anybody to get a pay cut. I hate that for people. I hate it. But if you're going to apply this universal principle in the athletic department, that's the best way you can do it, though. I can't see a better outcome for everybody. Yeah, that was that that benchmark was anybody over 100,000 a year would have to take a 5% pay cut outside of uh, Neil Brown, Bob Huggins, and Mike Carey. I think they were 10%. Um, I can't remember what it, was there a, a, a time frame on that? Was that for six months or was that for the, the, the remainder of the term of the contract? Do you remember? Fiscal year. Randy Maisie was in there as well. Okay. Um, but yeah, these guys were all over a hundred thousand. Uh, so they're all going to take a 5% pay cut. It, again, it makes perfect sense because that's what everybody else is doing. So it makes sense that them coming in on new contracts would be held to kind of the same standard. Um, backtracking a little bit on your, your, your thoughts on the, uh, you know, the new clause about furloughs and, and reduction in pay and all of that. It, if this were me, and again, you made a great point about the kind of situation they're in. Like, where? What are the other options? There aren't that many other options right now because of because of what's going on in the world. There might not be equal or greater employment somewhere else, or <clears throat> more money somewhere else. So you don't have that many options. What you don't have a whole lot of leverage in this discussion. But that is a tough clause to have in there because I feel like it, it is there's multiple issues I have with it. The, the actual furlough in, in it, these crazy times, not an issue. Uh, I mean, a little bit of an issue, but a slight reduction in pay. Got it. I understand. But it's all kind of at the discretion of the university and the athletics department with no kind of rules or limitations on when or how it's employed. And it says that the budget conditions with the university rather than just the athletic department. And I think we both know that, that those funds are kind of separated, that the funds for these coaches are coming from the athletic department. They're not coming from the general school fund. Mm-hmm. So what is the, what, you know, why should I, as a basketball coach, be concerned if, say, you know, the physics department or the economic school uh, is having financial trouble that shouldn't impact my contract and then to have right in there basically we can just cancel your appointment at any time prior to june 30th because it says you know we'll furlough reduction in pay modify employment or terminate your appointment prior to the end of the term that that negates like the whole rest of the contract because uh, later in the contract it talks about how if you're fired without cause um or for convenience, I believe is the term, then the school is required to pay liquidated damages towards you, uh, to you uh, over the course of the next, I believe they have to pay it out in the next 30 to 60 days. But with this clause in there, you can read it as, actually, you can just get fired at any time and get nothing from it, period. And that's, that is a tough pill. That would be a tough pill for me to swallow. I don't think that affects, you're absolutely right. Um, it's severe, it's harsh, that's, it's modern though. Um, it's 2020. I wouldn't be too concerned if I was a football or a basketball coach. I would be concerned if I was a baseball assistant, if I was a soccer assistant, if I was a cross country assistant, that would worry me because those are sort of accessory ancillary positions. I think dispensable is probably the word that you would use. I hate using that word because I don't think anybody is 
in this capacity in athletics. I get that. Um, but I think that you're looking at a situation where if, if something happens, they have to be able to act and, and be able to be protected against it and do it. And listen, you don't got to work here. You don't got to sign the contract. That's the, the harsh part about this, but that's kind of what they're doing too. Uh, my counterpoint to you, Chris, though, is this might not be just specifically an athletics thing. I think it's probably university wide. And I don't think you could put this on um, professors, deans, um, you know, administrators. I don't think you could put this in that side of the university. I don't think you could put this in their contracts and not put it in athletics and vice versa. Um, envision the scenario where they leave campus for, um, I don't know, Thanksgiving break and they don't come back. And then they start the spring semester a little bit later or even on time. You're looking at like six or seven weeks with no school you could defer a lot of people for six weeks there and save a ton of money. Um, in sports, if if there is no spring recruiting again next year, let's say, what are assistant coaches in football doing? Honestly, like if there's if you can't have spring football and you can't do recruiting, what are you doing? Like, do you have to be paying those people? Could you furlough them? So I'm not saying these things are going to happen, but like clearly we don't know how this is going to end. And you've got to you've got to protect yourself at the university. Your your financial investment here is steep. And the ramifications are just as bad, too. So um, I think what you can apply to the university, you could apply to athletics as well. And I think if you had it in for one and not the other, you might have people that are kicking rocks about this and making a big deal out of it. But at least it's treated uniformly. That's the best thing you can do. Um, and, and I don't know how else you could do it, too. So um, that's a possibility, too. This also might just be proactive in the event this ever happens again, too. Remember, we talked about the football contract with Robert Morris, and that has um, – a retent or restriction on attendance clause where if for some reason Mountaineer field can only have 50% capacity that day, well then Robert Morris only gets 50% of their allotted tickets. What seems logical today, that game is being played five years from now. Are we really, I mean, Jesus, are we going to have this happening five years from now? Are we still going to be inside doing podcasts and doing zooms and still like getting mad about this? Maybe not, but if your present isn't part of your future thinking, you're really not learning anything from the moment. So I don't fault anybody for doing that. It's but with regard to the contract and, you know, uh, listen, a small thing that would be big is not paying into people's retirements. Like I worked at places that did that and like that makes a difference to them. And if you just suddenly stop your your contributions or your matching or some type of scale there, when you have a ton of employees like the university does a little bit like that of matching, you know, fractions of a percent up to, you know, whatever your contribution is. If you multiply that by as many employees as that may affect that adds up and becomes a big thing. So, you know, small measures, large measures like pay cuts, that all is on the table right now as to how they address a problem that they probably don't know how big it is yet just because maybe it hasn't finished. Uh, maybe they don't have a, an accurate assessment of, of how big it's going to be when the books are refreshed. Who knows? But they've given themselves a bunch of options to take now and later, whether it's reducing pay, whether it's stopping payments or matching effort of the languages to retirement plans or if it's furloughing people those are all different scales of actions that they may have to take because they don't know what the outcome is yet but they've given themselves those options too um i'm not a fan of it i kind of think that you know you, you pay the prices of doing business but this is such a unique and and perhaps critical time especially if there's no football season that you almost have to forgive and forget anything that may happen too yeah i'd be a little concerned that it's a slippery slope towards these the employees for the university basically 
basically becoming part-time part-time employees like like you mentioned uh no spring football or or no recruiting no in-person recruiting why keep certain coaches or staffers around all of a sudden they're furloughed for months on end or um not maybe not part-time but like seasonal employees and and teachers hey if the, the school kids are going home not coming back for six weeks furlough them for six weeks and then you don't have to pay that that's it's a slippery slope that that would concern me especially if i were uh, you know, employed in that field or with a university right now? It's hard. I mean, and you can pretty much bank on raises, at least for the university side, anytime soon. Um, and true to his word, Shane Lyons says no um, no multi-year contracts for a while. And all three of the assistant coaches went from two-year deals to one-year deals, which is not a great thing, too, because if one of those three doesn't do a great job, if you thought they should have made a change in between these seasons, right, but you understand that it was just impossible or at least not ideal to change assistant coaches during the conditions of this offseason. You're looking at next year saying, well, these guys are all on one-year deals. Maybe if it doesn't work, we can do it again. If those guys were on two-year deals and the finances were as tight then as they are now, there's no way they're making a change. Um, you can apply that to any sport at any school, but um, that one-year deal thing is not insignificant too. And Lyon said that he would, um, he would not be doing multi-year deals for a while too. Um, speaking of basketball and unpredictability, Pretty good basketball player down the road in Polka. Isaac McNeely. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a fringe top. Well, I, we could say he's a good prospect. How's that? I don't want to call him a fringe prospect, but not a top prospect. So fringe top prospect. Is that fair? Yeah, I think he's good. He, I think he's going to be right in that four low four-star range. So he's okay. somebody that uh, you know a lot of schools definitely want. Except... <laughs> Except one, apparently, that resides in Monongalia County in Morgantown, West Virginia. Um, an interesting story out on 24-7, written by Travis Branham. Um, speaks to Isaac Benelli, and he talks about the schools that he feels are most aggressive and most consistent. Um, and some good names, you would think. Um, Virginia, North Carolina State, Indiana. No West Virginia. Um this may be extremely early for a 2022 prospect. As you've noted, West Virginia does not throw out a ton of scholarship offers. It's ain't football. Um, and it's not hard for them to get to know McNeely or for McNeely to get to know West Virginia. Um, and Huggins has paid his respects, paid his attention to in-state players with varying degrees of success, including at Poca. Um, but it is unusual that you give a list and you're from the state and you don't mention the state biggest name and the biggest basketball team odd or early um or uh, not odd <laughs> I, I was saying, can i i got multiple answers because say all of the above odd not odd it, it it is a little bit odd to me because one west virginia according to our database has only offered five players in the entire class of 2022 and mcneely is one of them on june 15th at 12.01 a.m., midnight, you know, midnight of June 14th. So on June 15th at 12 o'clock, colleges were allowed to contact 2022 prospects. West Virginia's Ron Everhart messaged him right away. I mean, schools aren't going to call you at midnight. They're going to text you, see if you're up. Um, and Ron Everhart got in touch with him right away. Those two things tell me that West Virginia is very interested and West Virginia is putting forth the effort. 
Um, so I'm a, because of that, I'm a little bit surprised that, you know, West Virginia wasn't part of the, hey, three schools pushing the hardest. I mean, maybe the other schools are even pushing even harder. I don't know. Um, then you see Indiana on there, a team that has not even offered. <laughs> and um, I don't know. Basketball recruiting is always different and weird and have a lot of factors involved into it more so than football. And, um, you know, it, it's just there. there's people that are always pushing you to make more so than football. I mean, there's always people trying to push you one direction or another for their own personal reasons. But that happens a little bit in football, but it pales in comparison to what goes on in basketball. So I think there's, there's some influence there trying to push Indiana because the Hoosiers haven't even offered. Um, and I don't even believe they got in touch with him at, at midnight that night. They, I, I can double check that. But that's, that's a strange team to have in the top three. I uh, I seem to notice a 500 pound gorilla in the corner of the room. Have you seen this? Have you noticed that? <laughs> I have, and, and are, I think are we allowed to talk think, about this? I think we've seen this 500 pound gorilla uh, a few times over the last couple of years. Um, I'm wondering if one has to do with the other. We're obviously talking about some quizzical comments by Bob Huggins back in uh, I want to say middle of March, late March, when he was talking about those external forces that were trying to presumably pull Shibway either away from West Virginia and into the draft, or at least far enough away from West Virginia to consider the draft and at least, you know, give it a run and see what happens, which all things considered, which would have been terrible advice because of the, the preamble to the draft this year. Um, but there were some actors there that Huggins was really not happy with. This sounds um, like there are some, common components here uh i don't want to get accusatory but uh let's just say the the comments that you're referring to from huggins um i believe he did mention oscar by name but i believe he kind of when he was discussing it he talked about how there were forces inside of west virginia that were pushing kids away from west virginia and we've seen that uh you know obviously what huggins referred to there with Oscar Shibway. There was another kid. Uh, man, what was his name? Was he from? Was he at Poca too? Before? No, Ripley. Chase Johnson, who went Ripley and then Huntington Prep. As another kid that West Virginia pushed hard for, but uh, some people around Chase were really pushing him another direction. And and you're seeing that with a few different guys, and you have to wonder. Who are these people and why? And so I, I, I don't want to get accusatory and say those same people around McNeely because McNeely is a good kid and a good young man. I mean, heck, he's almost 17. Um, he's making his own decisions, but uh, he's a good player and he's got a lot of interest. And unfortunately for Bob Huggins, there are just some forces inside of West Virginia, like he said, these are Huggins' words, not mine, that are, are pushing – that he has to fight against. And, it, and it's it's shocking. It's surprising. Most most in-state – when you recruit in-state, most colleges, they get help, help pushing kids to their school. Um, and, and for some reason, Huggins is having to fight against some influences in the state. Period. 
Closed chapter. Yes. Closed book. Uh, speaking of competition for players, this is kind of a twist, but we'll, we'll go to a different sport. Um, junior college is going to be weird this year and maybe contentious based on some things we've seen in the past, I don't know, 72 hours. But West Virginia does continue the momentum for football's 2021 class against Nigel McGriff, who is a grown man, 6'3", 285. Is that correct? He's already played a full season of junior college. Um, but this is where things get tricky. Junior college says, we're not going to play in the fall. We're going to attempt to play our season in the spring. However, the Mississippi area of community and junior colleges, which is, I don't know if you agree or not, Chris, the best junior college conference in the yes. country. Okay. Yeah. Um, the best. 14 teams, national champions, countless NFL, never mind FBS players, go through there. They kind of abstained from the vote and made it clear that they did not participate in that, so they may not by abide. They may not abide by it, which is kind of a, a strange thing. Similar was happening at the FBS with, you know, for example, the ACC, Big Twelve, SEC not following the Big Twelve, excuse me, Big Ten and Pac twelve right now. Maybe they play. I don't know. It's not impossible with fourteen teams, but it's really important for the players to get to the next level. Frequently, players in their first year redshirt or just don't play very much because the talent is so condensed in that second year class or the players who are just bouncing back and spend one year. So they need that second year, which for a player like McGriff, maybe not necessarily he played enough to get noticed, but a lot of players get noticed in that second year. They may not have that, but I think the competition for junior college players is going to be immense this year because um, if they play, okay, you're going to have a handful of players who are going to get more recognition than normal. But if they don't play, people like McGriff or people like J.D. Martin, the athlete that you introduced us to at East Central Community College, they're going to have three years to play at an FBS school, which is extremely valuable, extremely attractive. And players like that are going to be even more sought after. Um, how do you read what may happen and how that may affect the competition to either get a commitment and sign someone like Martin or to retain the commitment from someone like McGriff, who did have other quality, quality Power 5 offers. Let me go point by point here. Let's start with McGriff and, and the other interest. Uh, I think this ban on in-person recruiting and the cancellation uh, of the season really helped with West Virginia McGriff. Because West Virginia got in extremely early, thanks to Jordan Leslie. You know, Jordan Leslie used to coach in... Uh, the Missouri Junior College ranks, or Missouri, excuse me, Mississippi. So he knew of McGriff uh, through his contacts, got in on that early, stayed in touch throughout, and secured his commitment. And two big-time schools were were lurking, and I felt might have offered later in the process. I even touched base with our guys at Florida State and Ole Miss to get their thoughts on that because both of those schools wanted him to officially visit in the summer. Um, obviously couldn't do that. Then they said they wanted him to visit in the fall. It's looking like that might not happen either. So I, I think that's why McGriff just said, all right, uh, I'm just going to jump on the one that I know, the one that I love, and, and go with it. So I think that helped because he is from Florida. So there were some there some you know interest in Florida State. Ole Miss, obviously, right there in Mississippi, uh, interest there, playing in the SEC. So I think that helped out with him there. Um, second part, the – um, this fall. So I think where it's really going to impact West Virginia and, and they're really going to roll the dice on some things here. 
is cornerback because it's become abundantly clear that they would like a junior college cornerback. They've offered several throughout this process, uh, no more than like say one or two at a time. And that's usually how it goes with the junior college recruits. There's a couple that really stand out that are no doubters off their freshman film and you offer early in spring. Maybe you see one or two more that you really like during spring football that didn't get as much time in the fall because junior college recruiting in the spring is, is big. Uh, they hold full-on scrimmages, full-on open practices. They have spring football, just like four-year colleges do. And four-year college coaches come down and watch that stuff, and they get film from it. So you get a couple of those, but that didn't happen. And then you get into the season, and then a couple more might get offered based off their sophomore film because they may not have been, you know, in, especially in the uh, Mississippi junior colleges, you're competing against um, – bounce back recruits is what we call them kids that played at power five schools mm-hmm. go back to junior college and then try to bounce back up to power five so there it, it's stiff competition so not playing much your freshman year is nothing to be ashamed about in junior college so maybe they stand out on their sophomore film but west virginia's only got like one i think uh committable offer out to a junior college corner and it just went out the other day uh kamal Haddon in uh kansas independence community college in kansas i think i i it's still early with Haddon, so maybe they'll end up with him and they'll be happy. But that that's probably about it as far as it, they've gone through with their early offers for these junior college cornerbacks. And now you're getting – after this, you're probably going to have to get to that second tier. But what is the second tier? Because you didn't have the spring football. You're not going to have the fall football. So I think they're going to have to roll the dice on – some some junior college cornerbacks, maybe some kids that they knew from high school were good in high school and they're hoping continue to develop. It's amazing how deep this runs. Yeah. <laughs> like I mean, you just it, have to, you just have to know guidance counselors and high school coaches and defensive coordinators at all these schools and like teachers, you know, oh man, just just to get uh, uh, just to just to guess the right way, you have to know all these people because you're not gonna be able to use your eyes and watch film. Yeah, it's it's going to be tough, and I, and I'm curious where else they might go because, again, some of the junior college offers that come in the fall, they come, they come in the fall because the coaches have identified an issue from the current season, or there's been transfers during the summer, and say somebody, I, I, I'm not going to say a specific position because I'm not hearing anything or anything like that, but uh, somebody transfers at a spot and then. Uh, the only couple guys left on the roster that are really have any experience are both seniors. So now they're going to graduate. So now all of a sudden you have to circle back and try to offer a junior college kid at that spot. But who do you offer? Cause you don't have any new film to watch. You don't know who's available. You don't know what's there. So I, I think you really have to be prepared for just about anything now. Yeah, I mean, you might see a junior college kid who redshirted and didn't play for his two seasons, right? Redshirt one year just didn't play a whole lot the second one. And you're going to have a guy who's like corner played four games, made two tackles. And all of a sudden he's going to commit to your school. Maybe not this one, but it's going to, there are going to be things like that where you need. And like you said, you know, somebody from high school, you trust this high school coach, you know, the junior college program, it's a junior college defensive coordinator says, Hey, it's a good kid. Um, practice hard, look great. Just, we had two, you know, FBS guys in front of him. He didn't play. Then you go down the hallway, you get the the academic people and say, no, he's on track. Grades are good. Just, you know, a little loose here, but really good here. He'll be fine in your major. And that's good enough. Like, that's going to have to suffice, which is crazy. I'm sure coaches do not want to do that, but the best ones are going to have things like that covered. And you're right. Maybe you don't want too many of them, but you might need one like that, too. So, well, 
And here's another wrinkle just to throw in there. I and like it. Those kids, because not all junior college players are ones who say were ineligible out of high school and are required to earn their associate's degree before they can enroll at the new school. Some of them were full qualifiers out of high school and just didn't get um, the interest from schools that they were expecting. Uh, Noah Guzman, for example, mm-hmm. who was, uh, again, supposed to be another class, but then ended up enrolling late uh, as part of the last class for West Virginia. If there's no school this fall and you're a full qualifier, what's to stop you from, you know, if, if I were a full qualifier at junior college, just played my first year, and I still have four years to play three seasons, I'm reaching out to every major college and being like, hey, check out what what film I got from my freshman year. I'm a full qualifier. I can be at your school next week if you'll have me. And I think there's going to be, maybe not at West Virginia, and we've already seen them do it, so maybe, but there's going to be some guys who reclassify because they're like, I'm not going to waste a whole year at junior college if I'm not going to play, and I can go to a new school. John Hughes. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. That's another one. So mm-hmm. West Virginia, the, the, this coaching staff's no stranger to this. So uh, again, this isn't something very specific I'm hearing right this moment, but keep an eye on it. We keep talking about how they like to get creative. Um, I'm not. I wouldn't definitely not rule that out right now. One more I want to close on because you asked a question that is really good. And it's hard to answer, and it's a blind spot that maybe people haven't understood or exploited, but perhaps they will. Here's a question I have about fall sports cancellation. So you ready? Yep. If you cancel your fall sports and you just say, we're not going to do it, we're going to do it in the spring, doesn't that have to affect basketball? Yeah. Like, how is the Ivy League and the Patriot League, just for example, how are they going to play non-conference games in November or December? Like, how can you do that? And if the ACC comes through and says, no non-conference games. Actually, we're going to... And if, Actually, nobody in the block. If the FBS says, listen, we're going to play no fall sports, we're going to play in the spring. I haven't heard this at all, but like, what happens to your fall sports that are actually winter sports but are starting in the fall? Like Basketball's first game at WVU is November 7th, I believe. Mm-hmm. That's the fall. Like, So if the Big 12 says, we're going to push back the start of our football season until the spring, wouldn't that also have to preclude the winter sports from starting on time too what do you think they'll pull a big 10 get rid of non-conference games just start playing i mean i guess january is not the best time to play but um you know big, big 12 play doesn't typically start till what first first week of january second week of january sometimes so, sometimes before new year sometimes right after but at least they have a way to furlough their employees now if they do that yeah it all makes sense chris yes it does Coming up on the site later today, all Big 12 preseason teams. We will give you the official results of the voting and also look at how Chris and I picked our offensive defenses tomorrow. Big 12 poll. Again, how the media voted and how Chris and I ranked the top 10. I am going to try to compose a four deep, which is more than a two deep, but maybe not more than a two deep. The reason I want to do this is because it's a kind of some, it's something that's been like itching me for a little bit because Neil Brown talked about different ways that he could structure practice this year to account for conditions. And one was to split up his team and, you know, practice your ones and threes together on offense against your twos and fours on defense, practice your twos and fours on offense against your one and three on defense. Reason being, 
if you get an outbreak in practice, you're not losing your first and second team. You're losing your first and third team, but at least you still have your second and fourth. I want to see if West Virginia's roster is at all situated to do that and how creative they would have to get to fill 88 spots, probably a little bit more because we're talking about multiple receiver positions. But you have 85 scholarships that have a pretty, I would say, competent walk-on program. Um, you're probably not going to play four-string guys, but if you want to practice, you got to have them. So I'm going to see if they can do that. Do you think I can pull this off, Chris? I think you're going to have to have my story on guys playing on both sides of the ball on hand and ready to go because you're going to have to get creative with it. I was thinking, like, I've been talking about how I think they really like their two tight ends, McLaughlin, or excuse me, O'Loughlin and Banks. But if you want to play two tight ends, which would help the running game and give them a, you know, a boost in play action, for example, um, you got to have three because if one of them gets hurt, you're scrapping that whole part of the playbook and wasting all that practice time if you don't have a third tight end. They have a third, they think, Charles Finley. Do they want to play him right away? I don't know. But you can at least practice with him. He doesn't have to play, but he can practice and you can work on that stuff. Trouble is, Lachlan's one, Banks is two. Those two are not going to practice together in this model, which means that Finley might be getting reps at three, which is almost like two at this point because he's working with Lachlan, which means that Finley may, by default, be ready to play this season or at least be in a position to play. But who is Banks practicing with then? Who's the four? And maybe that's where I go and I borrow questions. You got to, you got to figure out Mike, not me. And that's where I write the story. Well, I've gone through and I've looked and like Taj Austin was a tight end in high school, a little Mm -hmm. bit, not much, but he was. So was he a guy that would flip over there? You might have to be creative like that. Um, now nah, we'll save that Taj also a bit for later. Uh, but anyways, you can you can look at different things and figure out this is going to be a lot more complicated than you think. So again, I'm not sure this will actually happen. I'm not sure I can even fill it out. But like I think that looking at it and staring at the the issues it may cause or the the headaches it may cause, that kind of gives you an idea of, of everything these coaches are having to deal with. You know, planning for a season or a preseason at least is tricky. It's so much more complicated now, and this is probably like a small window into it. I'm kind of see if I can. I'm interested to see if I can pull it off. I have no doubt that I can't, <laughs> but I want to see if I can surprise myself and if I can make it happen. Uh, and then I'll have uh, polls on Thursday. Uh, for those looking for Mike and I to argue and disagree, that is a good spot to start because uh, I, I just put that together, my picks and yours, and and we were more different than I thought on that one. Um, I think we kind of had similar tiers of teams, but all jumbled up outside of Oklahoma at number one. But I'll also be taking a look at the final spots for West Virginia's recruiting class uh, and who might fill them. Obviously, West Virginia is now up to another commitment, and there are pretty limited spots left and and a few top targets at each one. So I'll run down for that before we get to the weekend. I can't wait till they sign another defensive lineman, too. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, we'll see if they happen to add somebody before the next time we talk. That will be Friday. We'll be coming at you before we – tiptoe into the weekend and hope nothing major happens so which means of course something will but maybe not we've been on a pretty good roll of being able to step away and not have to look over our shoulders for a while um i think the quarantine has learned to accommodate us so thanks for that i guess so the rest of uh-huh. it i can do without but oh well but um i think we should wrap it up what do you think that sounds good to me all right that's all for this time we will see you next time for earsports.com i'm mike casaza and i'm chris anderson we will talk to you next time